brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Guys, I'm eating junk and watching rubbish. You better come out and stop me. Hi, this is Dick Miller. If you're listening to Junk Food Cinema, who are these guys? Campers, welcome to a particularly wild episode of Junk Food Cinema, brought to you by FilmSchoolRejects.com. Dot com. Dot com. Dot always room for s'more. I am your host, Brian Salisbury. This is the weekly cult and exploitation film cast. So good, it just has to be fattening. I am your host, Brian Salisbury. And normally, this is where I would tell you that I'm joined by my co-host, C. Robert Cargill. But Cargill went down in the woods today. Got a big surprise. Haven't seen him since. Something about a picnic. I don't know. But in his stead, we have a very special guest. The Joan Rivers of Junk Food Cinema. The host of the Overhated Podcast. And a man always pitching a tent. Mr. Scott Weinberg. Woo! It's me, Scott. Great Scott, it's you. You said this movie that we're covering was a listener request? It was. It was, Scott. This is one of those situations where we have the Lieutenants of Megaforce tier on our Patreon that comes and goes from time to time. Deeds, not words. Deeds, not words. Good guys can win, even on Patreon. Is this a weed-friendly podcast? If I pack a bowl right now, is that cool? I've never known it not to be a weed-friendly podcast, my friend. Oh, I thought you were going to say I've never known you never known me to not be stoned. <laughs> Are you roasting yourself? How is that even possible? I'm a peanut. <laughs> I was so happy to hear about your recent resurrection, Mister Peanut. I was, yeah, I'm honey roasted. <laughs> okay, now you're just flirting with me. No, well, <laughs> you are handsome and manly. Well, this is true. This is all very, very true. And I recently printed that in my autobiography. But, of course, on this podcast, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash junkfoodcinema. It's a great place where if you really like the show. I mean, you really like the show. You can help support it. And uh, in addition, of course, with to money with money. In fact, not loves, not hugs and kisses, not, which not I do much. appreciate it. But yeah, and not, not, not much a lot money. of money, just a few dollars. A few shekels. Uh, but the thing is, there's a tier oh, that we... I it's shekels now, because you got Weinberg. I got it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> I have mm-hmm, always said mm-hmm. shekels. Thank you very uh-huh, much. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I say, I say, uh-huh. <laughs> that could be a great character for me. The super sensitive Jewish man. What? What? Would you say? Somebody's cheap? What? What's that mean? What? <laughs> no, I, I said this bird won't stop cheeping outside. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. It's so good to have you back on the show, Scott. I can't even tell you. Oh, uh, that's great. I, I like being on podcasts. <clears throat> Overhated. Over-hated. Uh, it's, 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 it's now available on regular podcast feeds. I did it for about a year on my Patreon only, so I would have a long backlog. So now, if you join my Patreon, you'll get, pod, you'll get episodes, a whole bunch of them, uh, way early. But, or you could go the cheap route. No disrespect there. And just uh, download it from your uh, favorite podcast uh, app. Thank you, Brian. Of course. You can also download our back catalog from your favorite podcast app. But getting back to Patreon. for but who'd ju- want to do that? No one. No one, in fact, would want to do Brian, that. Brian, let me ask you this. Off the top of your head, how many films can you name that were inspired by John Borman's 1972 survival horror masterpiece, Deliverance? 
approximately 1,700, and we will talk about most of them on this episode because this patron request today comes to us from Lieutenant of Megaforce, John Allegretti. And John Allegretti's request is the 1977 film Rituals. If you go down in the woods today, you're sure of a big surprise. If you go down in the woods today, you're sure of a big surprise. This animal has only been dead for a couple of hours. Look, Harry, somebody's playing a very sick game with us, and I want to know who, and I want to know why. If you go down in the woods today, you better go in disguise. April's dead, Harry. Was it a man? Middle of nowhere, Mitzi. No one's gonna help us. Why? Why is it happening to us? Somebody has stolen that boots. Why would anyone steal five pairs of boots? Five doctors on their annual ritual, just trying to have a good time. But this is the year they should have stayed at home. Rituals isn't a picnic. You're in for a big surprise. Which I have to admit to John, I did not know existed until he requested it. Canadian cheese classic. Well, low key. No, yeah. I had heard of it. I had probably seen bits of it on Encore one night because I mean, Hal Holbrook, he's great. Sure. Um, uh, I remembered none of it. And then once I revisited it, thank you, John. I had a good time with it. And I re- remembered bits and pieces of it, like um, somebody yelling the name Mitzi. Over and over. I mean, oh my god. Which sounds um, like they're looking for a lost cat. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, Mitzi is a, an animal or a grandma's name. What is Mitzi short for? <laughs> uh I'm not it's, uh, F. Scott Mitz Gerald, I believe, is what it's short for. Rituals. <laughs> no, this movie. Oddly enough, very few rituals take place in this movie. Yeah, not a lot of rituals actually in the movie Rituals, which why when it was re-released, it was re-released years later as The Creeper. So I don't. I feel like that title actually makes so a little bit you. more sense. <laughs> you were released from prison as The Creeper. <laughs> I'll be here all the week. First of all, <clears throat> I was sentenced to prison as The Creeper. I came out rehabilitated. I don't really want to talk wasn't, about it. I haven't even smoked yet. So maybe I shouldn't because I'm just I'm on tonight. Maybe I should just. <laughs> yes, maybe you should. But I have to agree with you. This movie is more Canadian than the Boxing Day episode of Letterkenny. Like this every- movie is more Canadian than maple donut syrup spilled on a VHS cover of My Bloody Valentine. This movie is more Canadian than if you poured gravy directly on the McKenzie brothers. Oh, I was going to go with something on Strange Brew. You win. Nothing beats Strange Brew. <laughs> uh, this movie is more Canadian than Seth Rogen getting drunk with the kids in the hall. This movie is more Canadian than if you played the NHL All-Star game with an actual Tim Hortons maple log instead of a puck. This movie is so Canadian. How Canadian is it? It played at the Toronto Film Festival and people booed. <laughs> this movie is so Canadian. Oh, oh, how Canadian is it? It's so Canadian, it left after the first season of SCTV. Oi. All right. All right. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm trying to think of the other one. Obviously, Southern Comfort, a Walter Hill joint from, I believe, 82, is often paired up with Deliverance as its most no- as its most notable knockoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was 10 years later. Right. Like, you know, like group of men going into wilderness uh, does not automatically equal but there was another one i think it was death hunt oh with lee marvin and charles bronson Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i believe that was another one inspired i could be wrong um this movie is kind of like southern comfort as a cialis commercial like it's kind of going that you know you you know i i this struck me early uh watching rituals if this movie was brand new and it came out and it played at a festival last year. Everybody would walk around saying Ty West's new one is good. <laughs> this Ty- is an early Ty West movie, an early Ty West, possibly an early Ben Wheatley. Uh, I could see him doing this movie as well, for sure. Brian, I want you to give a synopsis of this movie with no one sentence, no commas. 
Five doctors on a wilderness outing are stalked by a disfigured killer. You stole that. You're yeah. a plagiarist. Of course. Of course I did. It's literally from the Imdaba. Was I not supposed to do that? Oh, yeah. I meant to use your own words, but that's all right. I didn't specifically <laughs> mention don't plagiarize. And, yeah, you know, that's fair enough. There's nothing in the rule book that says a dog can't plagiarize basketball. <laughs> Air Butt, I believe, is the name of the dog who just plagiarizes from other writers. You're like, oh, that dog's a real butt. He just rips <laughs> rips off all the other <laughs> this is what you're giving me to play off of come on dude i don't know i thought i was teeing you up for something <laughs> better than that but it turns out i was not no i'm just busting your balls i um, thought i would if i threw it to you, you'd catch it you're a golden receiver i thought maybe you could uh you could pick up on that well speaking of bud <laughs> while i pack this why don't you give your listeners a bit more of a plot synopsis in including that they know how holbrook most notably from creep show you may know Hal Holbrook, most notably from Creepshow, as the uh, the henpecked husband in the segment The Crate with Adrian Barbobot and a uh, wild monkey monster inside of a wooden box. It's, it's a fantastic segment in that movie. I Don't remember very clearly when I was young, the scuttlebutt among young horror nerds was that it was supposed to be the Tasmanian devil inside the box. <laughs> Like a real, like, you know, but like without realizing, oh, a Tasmanian devil is an actual like marsupial rodent type creature. And they're actually kind of cute if you stay away from them. Now I'm wondering if the animated sort of between vignette segments in Creepshow were done by the same artist who later went on in the 90s to make the show Tasmania. Where the Tasmanian devil had like all these family members. And anyway. That is a, a 90s kid response if ever I heard one. So I'm just going to go ahead and move on. And oh God, you remember mentioned- that resurgence when everybody, when, when WB wanted to make Taz like, you, you know, like the, the, the alt Bugs Bunny, like the, you know, the Bugs Bunny for your sassy 14 year old to wear their big, heavy jeans and their hat backwards and their arms yeah. folded. Oh God. The, the whole, like the hip hop version of all the Looney Tunes that you could buy on sweatshirts. Yes, yes, I remember this. I had one of those fucking sweatshirts. You better believe I had one of those sweatshirts. I may still have that sweatshirt. You still talking about this Canadian movie? Yeah, I have the sweatshirt where they turn Hal Holbrook and all of his doctor friends into hip-hop characters, and I wore that sweatshirt every day of my youth. Absolutely. I read a fascinating piece of trivia about this movie, and I want to throw it at you once you're done uh, giving the full breakdown of this movie. Well, I mean, you kind of you kind of mentioned it a little bit, sort of a low stakes Southern comfort where these doctors just decide to traipse off into the Canadian wilderness to uh, to go hiking. And then things go terribly wrong as they are stalked by something out there in the woods, which at first just seems like bad luck. But then you start to realize that there is some sort of malevolent force and the motivation behind the killer, I think, is especially fascinating. But we will get into that. You mentioned uh you mentioned the word cheese, Scott, and one of the things that I have, by the way, I have opening title notes about this film, but I feel like the first place we need to start here is it is available on Amazon Prime, but the... Also uh, Shudder. Also, sh- it is available on Shudder, really. And Tubi. I hope that either Shudder or Tubi has a better print because it kind of, this transfer kind of looks like it was pulled out of a Canadian lake. And it really does get worse as it goes on. This has been, this has been uh, down several miles of bad trail, you might say, this particular transfer playing, at least on Amazon. And on Amazon, it says it's distributed by, quote, cheesy films, which I don't know. I don't, I don't know that this movie is especially cheesy. I don't know that everything... No, it's pretty sober, actually. Yeah. Yeah, sober is a really great word for it, even though half the cast spends two-thirds of the film drunk, which is fractions I can't even add together. Five doctors go into the forest. Oh, wait, I know this some one. Of the, some of them seem to get along. Mm-hmm. Most of them bicker. There's a certain entitlement and arrogance to them as they traipse through God's beautiful, you know, uh, forests uh, of of Canada, Manitoba, mm-hmm. I want to say, or perhaps Saskatchewan. I believe it's Ontario. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Fucking interrupt me on my own podcast. Anyway, uh, that bad things start to happen. And at first it feels a little bit like Lost Weekend, the great Australian mm-hmm. uh, uh, survival weekend. where where it's literally nature mm-hmm. uh, trying to expel the human element. Um, but in this case, it becomes qu- clear fairly 
quickly that it is an external presence, i.e. a person or persons who is stalking the group of five. To what end? Death. For what reason? Uncertain. Spoilers on this podcast? Spoilers. Spoilers. Nah. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. But I will say the opening titles, one of the things I did not expect. Oh, wait, let me let me feed you into this. Yeah. We go now live to Fonsi <laughs> with the font report. Yeah, yeah. So if I so I thought you were making a character like Fonzie, but he was so only cool because he knew about fonts. So my response was Helvetica. Uh so <laughs> the opening Ooh. titles, the word Pathé pops up. So one of the uh one of the companies associated with this movie is Pathé. Like I was not uh not Well, oh, that could also mean that in the last 40 some years uh its ownership has passed under their umbrella. Doesn't necessarily mean that they were one of the production companies. It does mean that at one point they distributed the film. Fair, fair point, fair point. But there's also, I love that when the word rituals comes up, which again, no actual rituals in the film. uh, When the word rituals comes up, it has the AMA logo next to it, just to drive home that these are in fact doctors. As if the opening conversation wasn't, they're looking at like surgery photos and arguing about courses of treatment, but it's like we really need to hammer home that these are doctors by putting the AMA logo there at the beginning. It's weird, and uh, yeah, I guess the the the, the only you know, and I'm pulling, uh, uh, digging into my subtext uh, uh, and thematic uh, roughage bag here. Hold on, let me dig into it. I'm guessing the only ritual is what that these aging white men are going off on their uh, requisite annual hunting trip. They don't really seem to particularly enjoy it. And therefore, it's kind of all after if you think about it, like I do, because I think when I watch motion pictures, <laughs> is it like, what's the point? They don't really seem to be enjoying it. And in that respect, it seems more less like a fun vacation and more like a doctor safari. Wait, ritual, no. ritual. It. That's it. That's <laughs> it. Uh, and that's pretty much it. What I got from it. Obviously, what other people can extrapolate, we will uh, discuss later in a documentary called Room 238, in which we discuss the various themes that people have about the film Rituals, Canada, 1977. Brian believes it's Manitoba. I believe it's Ontario. But Scott and I will be at a Motel 6 in Room 238 recording that documentary, and that is why it is called Room 238. Two men enter, one man leaves. Uh, but yeah, th- the thing that, about this opening is that they talk for several minutes about course of treatment and whether it's ethical and whether how many that it can be done a day. And it's not for about 10 minutes. You realize they're talking about like penile implant surgery because one of them says who wouldn't pay for a, a bigger dick. They're all urologists and they're talking about dick surgery. Yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> I, got, I, I mean you're, you're you're pulling out notes about the movie specific movie and i'm talking more like big sky rituals you know like sure real the the thing the thematic meat of the you know heteronormative toxicity of these entitled rotten filthy at least in deliverance, you like them to some degree. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. These doctors are horrible. I would rather perform my own appendectomy than hang out with these guys. I'm sorry. These 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 pricks. I'm sorry. These doctor pricks. No, I'm sorry again. These prick doctors. For a movie in which not a lot happens, and it's familiar, mm-hmm. and a little slow, mm-hmm. I still like it. I was into it. Oh yeah, no. I think the they they do a really good job with with setting the pieces up, and then you kind of watch them trudge through this this wilderness sort of uh, uh, mouse trap that's going on here, it which I think really, really works. Do, it, it does have that deliverance thing, doesn't it? Where I yeah. cut you off in the middle of a sentence. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. No, but I was just going to say, you know, by the time like it, it kicks into Act Three, you it's a short movie, and you feel like you've been with them through the ringer. Right. Right. Like, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I, what I really like about the the beginning of this movie especially is that these nature vistas, which is always one of the big draws for me of a survivalist horror film, is that yeah. the nature vistas in this are shot like 70s Disney nature documentaries, which gave me some real nostalgia. Did you know, according to IMBDB trivia, this movie was shot in continuity, which is very, very uncommon? Yeah, no, I, I read that too, and I was like, I guess they just wanted to make sure that the the level of, of damage that they were all taking and the I guess the makeup to make them look more and more haggard and, and you know, 
path beaten was uh, was accurate. So they're yep. just like, we're going to guess. Yeah, and plus, it, if you're ever going to do a, try to do a movie in sequence, you know, there's no B story. There's no cutaways to a subplot. Um, it's the five guys going from point A to point B to point C. And a spoiler. <laughs> one or two of them may or may not make it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense, but it's still uh, it's still fascinating to me to think about a film being shot in sequence. In the 70s Disney nature documentaries, the way these vistas are shot, I mean, it, they're slightly. Yeah, I think it's also the film stock. I think I'm no expert on this stuff at all. But I think that documentaries and low budget and even bigger budget stuff of nature from this era all has that that kind of bleached out grain and and in a in a low budget movie it's going to look muddy. But sorry, you continue. We're never going to get through this thought. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, we're never going to get through it. Uh, but no, it's you're right. The slightly cloudy lens absolutely is probably just the film stock, and that is something that it shares uh, with the Disney stuff. But there's also a lot of high angle shots, and the music is wistful to the point that it's almost romantic, like. You know, like Charlie, the lonesome cougar is one I watched a lot as a kid. And this like the music and the way it's shot and the angles the, all really remind visual me angle that you're talking about of the nature stuff always reminds me of. And you're going to agree immediately because I know you and I know you well. Grizzly mm-hmm. Day of the Animals or perhaps the entirety of In Search Of. Yeah, no, I could. T- I mean, it definitely feels like a girdler film for sure. Yeah, there's those Bigfoot documentaries from the late 70s and they all kind of have that that, you know bleached out poppy audio and and video it's beautiful i love it i love it by the way update on charlie the lonesome cougar she is doing very well on OnlyFans, so make sure you check out her page after these messages we'll be right back i'm gonna leave you out here some things are pretty much like they are at home Careful. Like Coleman tents, they're really canvas cabins with double doors that let the family in, two picture windows that let the breezes in, and nylon screen that makes sure nothing else gets in. And like Coleman sleeping bags, they're so soft and roomy you'll forget you're roughing it. Hey! <laughs> Coleman, greatest name in the great outdoors. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But we mentioned Hal Holbrook in the movie. He's sort of the the lead prick doctor here, Harry. He is joined by hate. I think the least hateable, right? I guess that's his 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 claim to fame is that they're all obnoxious, but he's the least obnoxious. Doctor less hateable. Yes, Yes. Hal Holbrook (laughs) plays in this movie. He's joined by like Canadian actor, uh, character actress extraordinaire Lawrence Dane as Mitzi. I still don't understand. Great voice, Lawrence Dane. I love that voice. I mean, he his name sounds like he would have an amazing name. You know what I mean? Like, I would want to be announced by Lawrence Dane. Absolutely. Uh, and then Robin Gamel also as Martin in this movie. And Martin is a fascinating character to me because this movie was shot in 1976. And in one scene of this film, he talks about his ex-boyfriend. But the yeah. fact that he's gay in a 1976 film is neither something that repulses his friends his straight friends nor is it something that defines him as a character and it's just yeah, fascinating it's to me qu- how progressively uh quietly pretty progressive for 1970 yeah it's a very progressive depiction of a gay character and something i was not expecting from a movie that was shot in 76 and didn't get released in the states until 1978 but uh this this actor uh robin gamel has been in a number of junk food cinema classics he is definitely an alum of the podcast. So I, I have Lawrence my Dane hat. also to your fan, to your listeners, you'll know Lawrence Dane from other Canadian classics like uh, scanners and happy birthday to me yep. from 1981. 
Yep. Uh, this guy has dozens, and he's since passed on. But uh, he's one of those guys where you never remember his name because it's Lawrence Dane. But, I mean, there's so many things that I've seen him in. He's just even some real big. Oh, he was in, like, man, Amy Fisher, My Story. <laughs> and, and then you know Ro- what you gotta gotta pay the rent you do have to pay the rent and robin gamble paying the rent with movies like project x which is, we've done a, an episode on he was also in the which, movie which project x the one with matthew perry matthew perry matthew broderick what the yeah, hell is okay. happening not, yes. not the found footage raucous wank fest no the movie that i wrote an open letter to the filmmakers and t- asked them to please stop uh nightmares is a movie that he was in as well the the anthology horror film he was the bishop in the segment the benediction bishop of battle no no not the bishop of battle which makes a lot more sense now that i say it but no he is the bishop that takes on the subterranean evil truck in the movie no wait a minute that's lance hendrickson that does that yeah i think uh, i think you caught yourself he must just be a bishop in another part because the benediction is definitely that segment so he must play another bishop of battle He's not the Bishop of Battle. That segment's called Bishop of Battle. God damn it. Listen, Canada is a confusing place for all of us. <laughs> Calm down. Stop putting gravy on your donuts. What are you doing? Why are you like this? Can I tell you a funny story about something uh, involving marijuana and Canada? Only if you say sidebar first. Sidebar. Sidebar. I was visiting Canada Toronto Film Festival with my friend, the late, wonderful James Rocky, whom I miss desperately, died a few years ago, or just over a year ago. And um, he and I were on our way to see a movie, and that is kind of an extra punchline. We'll get to that. We were on our way to see a screening of a movie that I didn't want to see, but he was going, and I had kind of like an empty block, so I'll go with him. Um, We're going through a park in Toronto, and of course... Because I had driven up with a friend, I had my, I had weed. So we were smoking in the park, two Toronto cops stopped us, looked right at us, knew exactly what was going on, told us to give them the pipe, give, we gave them it, uh, and the little tiny bag of weed that I had, which I had more up in the hotel room, but that was all I brought with me. And the cops were, uh, as is cliche, ridiculously nice. <laughs> they were ridiculous they said uh the only mildly not threatening but aggressive thing they said is oh you're both visiting and meaning oh you're both american visiting our country kind of breaking a law and they're like if i search your bag am i going to find any more and we both said no sir and he said okay good enough that's all have a good day and that was it they walked away and left it let us be took the weed and the pipe and and that was it and they were wow. they were super they didn't have to they were very gracious about it so um and then i the, the funny part is the movie we went to see after that nicole kidman in rabbit hole <laughs> rabbit proof which fence? is no rabbit hole is one of the saddest movies you will ever see it will make anyone cry rabbit hole parent. rabbit hole yeah i've never yeah. heard of this film that's crazy staggeringly sad uh but anyway <laughs> um it's yeah so that that that's the movie we went to see like jazzed up from cops adrenaline dump and and a little bit baked i appreciate uh, you telling that story about your run-in with canadian bacon zing i'm looking over to the left with this smirk into a camera that's not there that is not how podcasting works, folks, and I am sorry. There's no about fourth that. wall in real life, Brian. <laughs> that is maybe the most profound thing anyone has ever said on this podcast. There is God. no fourth wall in life. God. <laughs> Don't you think tell you're that like to... talking to the camera like you're Ferris Bueller in the shower. It doesn't work. Just don't tell that to Ryan Reynolds because it'll shatter his entire world. Just do not tell him about that. Stargrove. Stargrove. Rituals. So, yeah, they're they're trudging along here, and the first thing that happens is somebody goes and steals their boots. Real dick move by somebody in these woods just stealing their shoes. And so right, one of them has... Yeah. This is one sticking point that I have right there, right now. Uh-huh. After five, ten minutes, and you realize somebody literally took them. There's right. not, like, one shoe missing. Like, maybe a wolf came along and sniffed it and took it. So, therefore, now there's... A, or, yeah, there's... Right, right, right. One shoe no. is missing. 
if you and me and three other people are 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 on an overnight camping trip and we I already doubt the story I would never go camping right my, my point is we came back I look at you and I say all our shoes have been taken we're on the way to your car immediately we're not we because it tells you someone's following you and someone's fucking with you no good can come of that I'm just imagining that that's the plot of like taken 12 like your shoes are going to be taken Listen to me very carefully. You're in the woods in Ontario and someone's going to take your shoes. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. I, I don't know if, if I, you know, I'm just saying I would have immediately hightailed it out of there. Shoes don't just disappear, Brian. They don't. I have a very particular set of cobbling skills. Like this is a movie that I would write. I'm just saying Hollywood, you need a 12th installment of the Taken franchise. You call this yo and I will write about the missing shoes. But this is starting to set up. Although I will say the movie does something where for about the first act or so, it's playing with the audience. You don't really know if there is something in the woods kind of fucking with them or if they're fucking with each other or if they're going crazy. We're not sure until we start really seeing the antics of whatever this wraith in the woods is. One of them being that the bad guy tries to, for lack of a better term, my girl, our heroes, by throwing a giant beehive at them. Yeah. I call him the creeper. (laughs) Yes, we might as well just call him the creeper. By the way, sidebar. Sidebar. When the movie was re-released in 1982, like significantly later, it was re-released as the creeper and it got reviewed on the Siskel and Ebert show. And uh, I believe Ebert called it the like the dog of the week or something. Yeah. Once in a while, uh, they did a little segment at the end where they called it a dog of the week. Then, and a little dog would pop up <laughs> and they would go bark. That's what a dog sounds like. Well, speaking of that savage, loud. <laughs> speaking of savage beast, here's Sparky, the wonder dog leaping into the balcony to scare the wits out of us. And he's here to help us pick the dog of the week, the week's worst movie. You're going to have to moderate his sound. And, they would do, you know, they would they would shit on something that was super cheap, low budget, and usually horror. Yep. So. Sit, boo boo, shit. My dog this week is the Creeper, and Roger, I doubt that that was the film's original title. This one looks to be about a half a dozen years old, and the opening and closing credits were snipped off, a sure sign. And I believe the new title was inserted, the Creeper. Uh, no, but the thing is, Ebert got completely Mandela affected by this because he's like, was this movie released before? I feel like I've seen this movie before and could not place it. Maybe somebody will write in and tell us what the original title was. How about Hal Holbrook? Yeah. Might be a good idea. Okay, Okay, Hal, we're waiting to hear from you. So apparently his viewers started writing in because, you know, this is the early 80s. You had to write in. You couldn't text someone or tweet at them and call them a a cuck or whatever you do now, You you couldn't just Google the name Mitzi. Almost made myself laugh. You couldn't just Google Mitzi. You guys, listen to me. Listen, no matter what you do in life, don't be irresponsible. Don't just start Googling the name Mitzi. You know, have some class. Have some composure. Seriously. Also, go to my Patreon and support my podcast. Do it. Do it right now. But apparently, (laughs) his listeners started right again saying, oh, no, that's the movie Rituals from 1978. So this uh, this movie's PR department did a pretty good job with the re-release because even Roger Ebert forgot he had seen the movie before. This is just by coincidence that we both happen to pick what we think are at least are retitled pictures. Um, I hate when I see that. It's such a mean thing to do on an audience. It's totally cynical. It's like the movie is just two hours of cinematic celluloid and it's like sausage, you know, if it doesn't move a summer sausage, they retitle it Braunschweiger and open it on Friday. <laughs> it's just awful. Well, you know what? I don't love the title Rituals, but The Creeper kind of like tips the movie's only hand. Yeah, that's true. The Creeper indicates an external presence, whereas if you watch the movie, it could be a ghost. It could be it could be dementia. It could be internal from the group. It could be anything. Instead, but, instead of just, oh, look, a creeper from my film, The Creeper. The Creeper. <laughs> what's, what accent is that that we're doing? There? That's, uh, I believe, Eddie Izzard. That's just what I'm doing there. I'm not sure entirely what's happening, but that is what's happening. Can you do, can you say it in uh, Paul Lind? <laughs> this movie's called The Creeper. Do it in Richard Mulligan. Uh, they threw an empty bee's nest at them. Richard Mulligan. Do it in Scatman Crothers. All right. And I was going through all my favorites. 
you know what? As much as I think he's a number one super guy, I think it's probably in poor taste for me to start impersonating people. Oh, no, man. It's Catman Crothers had the most wonderful sandpaper in the back. His voice was like beautiful, but it also had that scratchiness. Just think of him from like uh, The Shining. Oh, okay. I'm going to try it. Ready? Was that pretty close? There you go. I need a moocher. That's the scat man, right? Yep. <laughs> Did uh, the. And wait, can I ask you a question? Can you get a contact high through a computer? Like, even though you yes. and I are uh, eight well, thousand no, miles the, apart? It's the microphone that I bought. And Philadelphia to Austin is about a thousand miles. More yeah. like a microphone. Am I right, folks? Stop I- making other words out of words. <laughs> What is happening? Anyway, rituals. So they're wandering. I've been meaning to ask you, the gentleman or lady, it was gentleman, right? John Adamantzi. Who requested this film. Yes. Did he offer any context or background as to why? No. No, not at all. Let's guess. I'm guessing that this gentleman saw this movie late night. 1980 early 80s Mm -hmm. Uh, it started at 11 30 p.m right after the news might have been called the creeper at the time and couldn't remember it finally tracked it down on the internet watched it was slightly disappointed with it but still likes it because it holds a lot of nostalgia value and then relayed that affection to you it could be, or maybe he just really enjoyed the first-class dialogue in this film, like, as we already mentioned, who wouldn't pay for a bigger dick? Or at one point, one of the doctors describes, after his friend has died, describes him as such, he was such a boob, such a gentle boob. Was I supposed to write down dialogue? <laughs> no, because I just fucking said it, so now oh, you know. all right, good. Yeah, he was a gentle boob. <laughs> he was a gentle boob, which I guess... Yeah, means- uh, Brian, I'll tell you the honest-to-God truth, if me, Not you, an and four other friends go camping in the woods mm-hmm. and you are uh, killed by a mysterious creeper. Uh-huh. I would not call you a boob. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'd be Scott. like that motherfucker loved Arby's. That's what I'd say. That is literally, literally the nicest thing you've ever said about me. That's literally, what I would say. literally. <laughs> and then somebody else would say, and boobs. And I'd say, yes, and boobs. Or maybe, maybe nuggets like looks like someone tried to pull your asshole out through your armpit. I don't even get that one. I don't know what that fucking means. Yeah, that's what the the obviously drunk pilot says to the doctors as they're flying in for their doctor safari. That would have been a better title for this movie. Doctor Safari. Absolutely. Absolutely. Someone tried to pull your asshole out through your armpit. Has anyone ever said that to you, Scott? No, but I but I assume it just meant you look like garbage. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. After these messages, we'll be right back. Welcome to Winnebago's Grand Giveaway, where everyone who buys a new Winnebago motorhome also gets up to $1,000 worth of extras at no extra cost. And you get to choose from things that fit motorhoming just perfect. A barbecue grill, camping equipment, air conditioner, a portable TV, in all over 300 items to choose from. It's all in this catalog, which you'll find at participating dealers. Just show up with a smile before May 18th. So getting back to the movie for just a second here before we uh, get derailed again, I guess there is technically one ritualistic looking totem in the movie. That's a deer head that was apparently a real deer head. So ick. But in order for it to be a ritual, like doesn't there have to be something cast with the aim of accomplishing something like, Oh, I mean, a ritual could, you could take ritual. I mean, you recording a podcast could be considered a ritual. It's something you do regularly. That means something to you. You know, it's good. It's vague. You're a ritual, and you've gone too far. far, Because you know you do Canada stuff. (laughs) Going up to north like, oh, you can't get me to sing. You're not going to get me. You can just go and watch Letter Kenny. You can just go and watch Letter Kenny. Is that? Yeah, we could could totally. Yeah, well, thank you for illustrating why I didn't want to (laughs) sing. Oh, my gosh. But, yeah, they start getting picked off one by one or disappearing. What I love about this movie is whenever anyone disappears, they will be brought back into the movie in some, like, horrific way. Like, we'll find their body. But Martin's character is traipsing through the river and steps on a bear trap. And then they have to rig up this, like, floating hospital bed for him. This, like, 
this uh, this inflatable stretcher situation out of like but sleeping since bags. Since we keep extrapolating this into real life, let's do it again. Okay. If me and you and three friends are out camping in the Canadian Northwest. I'm sorry. The more you do this, it sounds like an SAT question. <laughs> yeah. We get on a train to Manitoba going 45 miles an hour. Kilometers. It's Canada. Going considerably faster than that, because otherwise, what's the point of a train? Right. Um, I forgot what my point was. Marijuana, damn it! If you got injured, would I drag your ass across a river? Is that that what was having? it? That was it. Okay. If I, if we were being stalked by a ritual man, and <laughs> I stepped on what was clearly an intentional bear trap left for me, and I was shrieking to that decibel and that degree, you have your permission. To kill me. <laughs> I'm a ritual man. Be Yeah, I will definitely just flip that thing over and be like, oh no, Scott. No, what like, come back. Grab him, guys. Oh shit. Did you get the just lighter? Look at, look at the other people like he was eaten by a bear. We're all good with this. Like, you know, guys, he was heavy <laughs> for a thin <laughs> yeah. guy. Scott, the lightest person I could possibly know who would. No, but I'm like six foot tall and lanky, too. You know, I'm not like thin like I used to be. See, what you should do is just throw on a suit and wander around the woods, and we just think you were Slender Man. Oh, that's horrible. (laughs) I got like a pot belly and and Jack Skellington arms. It's not my fault. So. This is Weinberg. This is Weinberg. I uh, when I worked I th- at Applebee's, the uh, <laughs> the girl I had a crush on and the funniest, sassiest gay bartender I've ever known uh-huh. both called me Inspector Gadget because of my long, skinny arms. <laughs> <laughs> go, go, Gadget Bong! Oh wow, it works. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's a great nickname, dude. Yeah, I didn't like it. I didn't like it at first. I, at first, I didn't. But you know, the longer I worked there, the more I liked it because. Uh, I could tell that they actually liked me. They did it like a week after I started. At first, I didn't like it. We've mentioned Scatman Crothers and uh, Inspector Gadget. So we've we've effectively now talked about Hong Kong Fooey and Don Adams. So uh, I'm, I'm very happy with how this podcast is going. I'm just going to say that. Well, maybe you should do a podcast about Hanna-Barbera cartoons then, you fucking nerd. It would be called... <laughs> that series of sound effects. Absolutely. That's what the podcast would be called. Hanna Brian Hanna Hanna Bribera. Come on, man. Hanna Bribarian. Hanna Bribery, B U R Y. Dude, I mean, it writes itself. And by that, I mean, it took two of us to come up with it. And then in parentheses, you would put, and Blake, too. <laughs> and Scrappy Blake. So, yeah. No, but no, how is mm-hmm. your little brother? Are we just, <laughs> we're just catching up in the middle of this podcast? Well, I assume you're listening. Oh, God, I got hiccups now. I assume your listeners are familiar with your brother. Yeah, he's fine. Yeah, he's he's doing good. Just got promoted at work. He's doing great. Did he get married? <laughs> yes, he got he got married last December. So he's both married and Mazel tov. Mazel got a promotion at work. This has just become the catching up on how my brother's doing podcast. <laughs> This is like if I invited one of my my aunts to be the the co-host of Junk Food Cinema for a week. This is how it would go. And your mom? How is she? She's good. Thanks for asking, Scott. You know what she's not doing. It was like my it was like my best aunt Aunt Debbie. Your mom? How is she? (laughs) You know what? She's good because she's not on a doctor safari in the fucking Ontario wilderness. So she's doing pretty damn good. Unlike the heroes of the movie Rituals who uh, at one point are, there's like, we get down to the last two. We get down to, uh, oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. As we're going along and people are getting killed off, we keep finding clues. And by finding clues, I mean like a point and click adventure, obvious clues, like medical records for a veteran, a World War II veteran. They're just left scattered. You're in like a point and click game where you're you're in an interrogation room. There's a ficus. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What's Luke. in it? Well, you found your medical records from 1971 to present. You found the <laughs> medical records of Lieutenant Jeff Ficus. Yes, absolutely. World War II pilot. And they just like search a chandelier. It's so like, okay, I understand that this was the first uh, screenplay for Ian Sutherland. 
but it literally is like they keep finding pieces of his entire medical record that they can then like put together or he'll like he'll like leave a piece of his medical record stuck into somebody's leg with a knife like he wants them to find this yeah, out and they're they're really obtuse because they can't figure out that we're so vacant and on autopilot and mm-hmm. so kind of disdainful of our clientele we can't fathom that the person stalking us might be one of our patients in where something went wrong okay this is interesting did you get the sense that he was one of their patients because i literally got the sense that this guy was just mad at his own doctor because it comes out that based on the records they're looking at the doctors had fucked up treating his injury and he got a medical discharge and that was like what he was angry about. So he was specifically killing them because oh, they were doctors. Is that what medical discharge means? Well, I mean, I mean, if I have a little too much to drink, I will have a different uh. medical discharge. But no, no, no. What I I'm put a hat is, on my joke. I said the joke already. You don't have to underline it. I want one of those bucket fishing hats like Hal Holbrook wears in this movie. I and then I'll put another one on top of that. Is, is, what, is else a Hal Brook hat what, what else you got on your notes? Is I have it, nothing it, left. Put a hat on a very straightforward. <laughs> it is very straightforward. But the thing is, my question is say Scott, whole Halbrook? No, put a hat on a Holbrook. Look, <laughs> my question, Scott, is does this guy is like if it's not related to these specific people, is this redneck just waiting in the remote Ontario wilderness for doctors to wander in? And if so, how does he determine that they're doctors before he goes on this vengeful right, killing? Yeah, spree? I guess that's why I assumed he was connected to them, but how would he I guess uh, maybe I missed a key plot point. No, no, no. It can't be because, Scott, he was medically discharged from World War II. This takes yeah. place in the late 70s. Like, the, the math on that doesn't work out. These kids would have been teenagers. These doctors would have been teenagers during the end of World War II. It doesn't you know what, though? Let, you know what, Brian? Enough. Enough. Because you, you know what? You do this all the time. You don't know <laughs> about the anatomy or the makeup or the biology of the creeper. You don't know. Oh, that's what I don't know. I thought you were going to tell me. I don't know if these were geniuses. I, you don't know if it's Doogie Holbrook out here being a doctor at 13. And and that's why he didn't treat this this vet the right way and got a medical discharge. And that's why um, he's pissed off. Mathematically, it could still work. It couldn't work, Scott. There's no way that works out. I'm going to stick by it because nobody will refute it because you'd have to watch this movie to refute me. And no, I don't think a lot. I, I appreciate that because otherwise you have to deal with the fact that this hillbilly is essentially like the phantom in the movie, the phantom just sitting around in the jungle waiting for criminals to show up. Yes. He's exactly like the phantom except the creeper. He's the creeper. Yeah. He's not, he's not joining the defenders of the earth. It's not, it's not difficult, bro. It's not at all. So this movie ends in a showdown where Hal Holbrook, by the way, looking like fucking Rambo by the end of this movie. Can we talk about how awesome, and this is the first time I've ever said this in my life, how awesome and badass Hal Holbrook looks at the end of this movie? Well, it's because mostly, you know, people our age know him from the later stage of his career in which he was uh, an elder statesman and all from like the firm and whatnot, you know, uh, Mark Twain-esque even. But he's got this uh, red bandana on his head. He's got mud all over his face. He looks like Rambrook. Right. Rambrook. Right. But, you know, in the 70s, he was uh, he was a Hemsworth-esque. But my question is, do you think that they borrowed the look of Rambo from Hal Holbrook in this movie? Because this predates yes, for I think I think I think Martin Cove's entire career was patterned. In. <laughs> Martin Cove's <laughs> OK, sure. Important, I just like being on podcasts where the, a statement like that is considered funny. Yeah. Also, we, we find out that the, the redneck's name is Matthew Crowley, which sounds like uh, a legend that kids tell each other at night. Like, I guess it's because of Victor Crowley is what I'm thinking of. Is he is this person yep. related to Victor? So Crowley? what you're asking me is, are they the same name? No, I'm asking, are they related? Perhaps does yes. Victor Crowley and Matthew Crowley. I, let's let's get Adam Green in here and ask him. <laughs> Got him right here. Hi, I'm Adam Green. How you doing, guys? Here's my dog. Um Oh, I love the York. Oh, the Yorkies are great. The Yorkies, Arwen's great. Uh, but yeah, like this, this ends in a showdown in a cabin where you know clearly he's found the lair of the hillbilly that's that's torturing them. But then come to find out, the first hillbilly that enters is the blind brother of Matthew Crowley, Jesse Crowley, who is uh, who is just a, a gentle soul, not like his brother, who is who is clearly snapped. And they start to bargain because while Hal is in here with Jesse, 
outside his once missing friend Mitzi shows up. <laughs> I just wanted to say that like Mitchell Mitzi uh, is tied to it. Oh, there you go. Mitzi is short for Mitchell. Mitzi is short for Mitchell. That's absolutely Thank correct. you. All right. Lawrence Dane Baker as Mitzi uh, is tied to a tree outside and he's like, I don't know what he's doing. You got a gun. Come out here and kill him. But Hal Holbrook's been stabbed in the leg and is like trying to cauterize the wound. And all the while, his buddy Mitzi's outside about to get wicker manned as a fire's being built underneath him. And this is the part of the movie where I'm like, our hero, ladies and gentlemen, question mark, because Hal Holbrook literally just stays inside and tends to his own wound and lets his friend die because he's like, no, nah, I got to deal with this right now. Don't worry about it. He keeps yelling out like, don't worry, we'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. It's like, I'm literally on fire. Do something. And nothing is done. And he just burns up. Yeah. And that's where the movie, I kind of got fed up with it because there's just so much repetitive yelling. <laughs> I mean, not unlike you the- son of a bitch. Come to- He's burning me. I'm burning my feet. My th- third degree on one toe. Now my ankle, my neck, a- my back. <laughs> <laughs> it's burning down from the other way. It hurts. <laughs> It is kind of like the ending of uh, of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where uh, Marilyn you. Marilyn Burns is just screaming the entire third act of that movie. Yeah, but that's earned. That's this earned. Is just bellow. This is like bellowing. She's scared. This Save guy's only. On- She's scared. I'm burning. This guy's only shut on up. fire. So yeah, you know whatever. Ah, shut up, Mitzi. Burn. <laughs> And the movie ends with the, uh, you know, Jess or Matthew's trying to get back in and how Holbrook finally decides to do something and and blows him away and then just goes and sits on the road. And I guess either waits for someone to pick him up or waits to be run over by a car like he's in the fucking program. But that's that's how the movie ends. What's weird to me is that, you know, like Deliverance has the the uh, the classic, um, you know, uh-huh. uh huh. Uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Banjo, dueling banjos. Dueling, dueling banjos. This one has three accordions. <laughs> the fuck is, it's out of nowhere. Three guys like punching each other, playing accordions show up and then run off. No, I'm just kidding. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. No, we don't, we don't want to Mandela affect anyone. That absolutely does not happen. Roger Ebert is going to, in 1982, be like, were there, were there accordion players in this? Am I, am I going completely insane? How hilarious. How highly, highly humorous. But no, there are some intense strings at the end of this movie. Like the the orchestra gets really, really hyped. It's almost like I thought Shaft was going to emerge from the woods because it kind of sounded like Isaac Hayes conducting the strings. And I was like, okay, this could get interesting. I think if we're quiet, you can hear my cat. (laughs) Hey, Hans, what's up, buddy? Gold for podcasts. Hi, Hudsy. Yeah, he won't meow if I'm looking at him. Fair enough. Fair. He only seems to do it when I'm looking away, as if to get my attention. He now he sits on a chair next to me and just waits for me to pet him. And if I don't, he does tap, tap, tap on my shoulder. It's what a dick. Adorable slash annoying. No, I can totally understand that. So that's basically the movie. But I want to talk about something else, Scott. You mentioned Deliverance a couple of times. And I'm really trying to get at the heart of why so many survival horror movies came out during the 70s. Like, I feel like it is a really big thing. When I go and look at like survivalist horror movies, like lists, a huge percentage of them are made in the 1970s. And I'm trying to get my I think yeah. direct response to the 60s uh, women advocacy, women's liberation, and it expands into a sociological realm of men feeling inadequate. In, in the in the wild world certainly capable and and dominant in the corporate or medical or or business world but strip these um elite uh, uh, uh appointed powerful men in the forest with one or two angry rednecks or you know locals let's say uh, and they're uh, they're ta- they're taken down to uh, victims, not animals, victims, you know, like uh, uh, prey, quarry. Wow. OK, I really wanted to wade through the maybe the perfect storm of elements in the 1970s that could have convalesced to give us so many, uh, so many different survival horror movies. That's one, Scott, that I hadn't even considered and is a really good one, because in this movie, they're not just doctors. They're literally doctors who specialize in 
male genitalia. So masculinity, yeah, yeah, literally masculinity, literally representing masculinity and caring for masculinity. And, being- and, and I don't think it was that much of a it, might, it was a prevalent theme to some degree. And, and I don't know if it was necessarily rife throughout the decade. But I think what we're looking at is like ripples of a movie or two, like Deliverance, nailing it. Straw Dogs is another one uh, nailing it. And then other films kind of copying or echoing some good, some bad. But um yeah, I think that theme of like, you know, uh, men in the 50s, button down suits, fedora hats, you know, uh, two kids and the wife cooks at home and honey, what's for dinner? And, you know, it's all very happy days uh, in the 60s. That changed a lot. And in the 70s, uh, there was a lot of, uh, you know, uh, flexibility mm-hmm. in what made a masculine, what made a man, you know, could a man be like uh, an effeminate hippie? Of course. Could a man be a fucking soldier? Of course. Uh, could he be, you know, like, uh, you know, what, what kind of man is a, a doctor who is, might be wealthy and powerful in his own realm and sits behind a desk wielding life and death situations, but just put him out in the woods or like hills have eyes out in the mountains or whatever. Um, I, I think it's a fascinating theme of, you know, uh, we all escaped from the wilderness, you know, thousands of years ago, mm-hmm. uh, but throw us back into the wilderness and, you know, it doesn't take long for us to become pray again right right no that's that's a really good point i also think that the rise of independent cinema in the 70s could also lead to this because literally when you're talking about independent film you're talking about the first time that there was a wide swath of movies being made outside of the studio system and anytime you're making a movie outside of the studio system you're not operating with studio money you're talking about tighter budgets lower overhead and what's the uh, what's the one place that canadian tax credit yes what's the one place <laughs> that you don't necessarily have to pay to shoot uh anywhere that's outdoors do you know what i mean like anywhere in the wild you're probably going to be able to uh to shoot with lower overhead and i think that's why there's a few scenes in this movie that are not properly lit where you can't you literally cannot tell what the fuck is happening that you just have you have i just feel like the idea of we're going independent, we're moving outside the studio, literally for some productions to go outside because it was just cheaper to film in these places. And I think that's another reason why you have so many of these survivalist horror films. I was also thinking about camping culture in the 70s and why there may have been an uptick in camping culture. And I think the biggest reason for this is the very first Winnebago rolling off the line in 1966 and being sold for literally half the cost of its nearest competitor. So all of a sudden, it's way more affordable at the end of the 60s for families to go on camping trips because these vehicles are are being mass produced. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I was born in late 71 and I only have very hazy recollections of the 70s, mostly the late 70s. But it was true. Like National Lampoon's vacation, that was real. You would get into a what was called a station wagon, which was like an SUV, but squished down. So it came out vertical instead of horizontal. Uh, or no, horizontal instead One of vertical. Of <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, just a long, flat SUV, basically. And you would load up and go to either an amusement park or a national park or, or you know, uh, but you would be in the outdoors. We'd go up to the Pocono Mountains with my aunt and uncle. Um, and that was like a big deal, the family road trip thing. And and that, that definitely was part of it in the culture uh, in the 70s. So, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting. And then you get toward the mid 70s with the gas crisis. And all of a sudden you bought this Winnebago and American oil production peaks and we're importing more and more oil and makes the, the price of gas go way up. Suddenly you're rethinking that vacation like, well, we could drive up and down the East Coast like we used to. We could go visit relatives across the country, but that's a lot of driving and gas is expensive. Why don't we just go to one place, park and then sleep outside for a week and then go home? Because that's going to save us a lot of gas if we're only having to drive yeah. there and back. Another interesting sociological uh, theme might be that you know throughout the 60s and 70s the uh, the american interstate system the highway yep. interstate system you know just ha- was rapidly mm-hmm. growing so like you could in theory get from philadelphia to austin to new mexico uh, by just staying on the highways but as as convenient and as awesome as that is you got long stretches of highway <laughs> where there's nothing but forest and perhaps threats that a a kid from uh philly might not be familiar with (laughs) did you do a lot of camping as a kid scott growing up in the 70s uh not so much i did have um in the 80s when i was a little bit older i went to an overnight camp for a couple summers so i had that 
I have that uh, in my head, but my parents weren't really big into camping. Uh, you see, and it's funny because I grew up obviously in the late eighties, early nineties, and I remember going camping with the uh, the old pop up campers and and things like that, and and just I I have grown up to the point where like I don't really need to camp like it's not something that's high up on my list of things to do oh no i get the appeal right. but it's not my you know what i mean it's just you yeah. know i i get when i see somebody excited about a hiking trip they're going to sleep in the tent with their, their you know their friends or their spouse and their kids and we're going to fish and we're going to this and that i see why they like mm -hmm. it it's not like why would anyone like that no i get it it's just not my vibe you know yeah. like somebody might like surfing but not skiing right kind of yeah thing. and then you mentioned station wagons. They were still in in good production and selling well because minivans didn't kill the station wagon until the late, late 70s. When did this become an automotive podcast? I'm just trying to get at the heart of where all these fucking survivalist horror films are coming. You're breaking from. out like Winnebago price points and shit. What? What is this? This is the Price is Right podcast. <laughs> Oh man, what I would love a Winnebago. What they're so cool. But I mean, like, think about it, like Race with the Devil is an incredible sort of, you know, it's well think about, yeah, the original Hills Have Eyes. Yeah, What's that exactly. about? Exactly. That's about, you know, like just a, a normal modern family who doesn't feel any threat of the modernized uh, uh America, but yet, you know, go off the beaten path and there are things out there that can bite you. And I don't mean snakes. Ooh, listen to you being ominous. Yeah, and I just I'm just trying to figure out if any of these are factors or if it's literally just that Deliverance was such a massive success in 1972. Because it could just be that. It could just be studios trying to. No, I think it in. could be half and half. I think it could be like you know the idea that there are parts of the map, even in our own country, that are dangerous and scary, and we should you know watch where we go. Uh, was a common theme throughout the decade mm -hmm. and. There are a few examples like Deliverance and Hills Have Eyes that just were like, you know, hits. People talked about them. So, of course, you're going to make more of them. Other producers are going to try and make more of them. Is this a genre that you prefer with, you know, the, the killers in the woods, like the real like crazy rednecks? Or do you just like the creature features, the Girdler movies, the Grizzlies, the Day of the Animals? Oh, yeah. No, I, I my favorite kind of like forest bound horror movie is uh it would be like Prophecy, but a better movie than Prophecy. <laughs> I think Prophecy is a decent 1979 a monster movie with some a couple of really cool moments, but it has a lot of dead air, uh, a lot of yap yap. Uh, but like it's the a, a pissed off animal is killing mostly innocent people, and it's because somebody in town did something ecologically awful. Yeah, and I feel like. I like that that yin and yang, I like that give and take. I think ecological sort of consciousness coming to be a really big thing in the 70s is also maybe a part of why these movies were so popular. But I feel like there are two distinct eras. There is everything in the wake of the success of uh, Deliverance, and then, of course, everything in the wake of, of the success of Jaws. So prior to Jaws, between deliverance and jaws it's a lot of you know survival horror movies where it's like literally man versus the elements and then once we hit jaws it is creature features until the end of fucking time it's like jaws but with a bear jaws but with an orca whale jaws but with a car yeah fuck you it's a car now oh now yeah now you're getting into my now you're getting into my wheelhouse i just wrote a long piece about bear attack movies and grizzly and, and day of the animals had a bear attack who's a bit who does the bear attack in day of the animals brian he attacks leslie nielsen because bears Thank hate you. rape yeah. that is the one lesson we take away from that movie but they love cocaine it's funny that you know you watch day of the animals and you see leslie nielsen playing a fucking pompous asshole and you're like boy i'm used to leslie nielsen being wildly irreverent and funny and then 10 minutes later, you're like, oh, also not used to him playing a filthy rapist. Yeah. <laughs> you keep waiting for him to slip on a banana peel and into a bear's mouth. Right. And when, when once you imply that he's a sexual, you know, abuser, you're like, yeah, he's not getting fun. No, no, this is not funny. <laughs> I don't want your gun to be naked anymore. Put that away, sir. Put it away right now. Yeah. And, and yeah, as you mentioned, Cocaine Bear, I think, uh, harkens back to the obviously has a more modern sensibility in a lot of ways, but also has uh, one foot firmly in the just, you know, animal mayhem fun. Yeah, I, I, I liked rituals. I mean, there I think it's definitely not a uh, I 
it's a B movie for sure. I mean, don't get me wrong, but it has aspirations of being more artful than it is, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of the tropes that I like about movies like this, and I feel like it really is indicative of a very specific time and a very specific popularity of of these type of movies and i and i just i'm fascinated by that and i love that every time that this movie gets talky you have hal holbrook delivering these fucking monologues that feel like just audition pieces but coming out of his mouth or coming out of lawrence there is some mouth, good there is some good dialogue in this movie, yeah though. and coming out of like their, we're like trying to like savage each other there are right. some good bards back and forth i mean there's you know some dated purple dialogue and prose and whatnot but um I, there all is also some clever stuff in there you know I agree with you. I, I, it is a bit dry. It does take a bit to warm up, but uh, if, if our details about the film have not ruined it all for you, uh, I would recommend it. This was a solid film discovery for me. And I, I greatly appreciate John Allegretti requesting it so that I could, I don't think it was ever on my must watch list because I don't know that I knew it existed, but, uh, but yeah, if you like movies like Southern comfort or deliverance, I feel like this is one you're going to want to check out because it scratches a similar itch. Also death hunt and Hills have eyes. Yes. Those as well. And that brings us to the junk food pairing, and I'm going to go with a couple of staples of camping, and that, of course, is the s'more and the spam. So get yourself some spam and some s'mores and jump in the third rear-facing seat of your parents' station wagon and get yourself to a national park, which, by the way, the General Authorities Act of 1970 condensed all of the national parks across the country into one national park system instead of them being regional, which probably made it a lot easier and cheaper to visit. You're welcome for all the information you've learned on this podcast today. Yes, and. <laughs> Sorry, I yeah, got stuck. Yes, and what is your junk food pairing, Scott Weinberg? <laughs> I would pair this movie with a uh, thick, delicious breakfast sandwich Ooh. Uh, with, with egg, a little bit of extra cheese, mm-hmm. and of course, the bacon should be Canadian. So it's ham. Why don't you just call it ham? It's a little different than ham. It's f- I'm Jewish. What do you want? <laughs> that- <laughs> Scott, once again, workshopping this character, overly sensitive Jewish man. <laughs> overly sensitive Jewish man who gets angry about food. <laughs> you never had matzo ball soup? Fuck you. <laughs> the matzo balls on you. Good Lord. <laughs> You should definitely put that in your video package when you audition for SNL. Thank us for bagels. Next time you have a bagel, say thanks, Scott. God damn. We got that bagel game on lock, motherfucker. On locks. <laughs> oh, my God. Rituals. Scott Weinberg, When you, whenever you're on the show, the ritual is that I laugh my ass off. And once again, we have completed that right. And I greatly appreciate you being here. Please plug yourself right in front of everyone. Yes, this is me, Scott E. Movie Nerd on the Twitter. And if you would like to check out Overhated, you can do so on various pod attractors uh, apps and uh, also on my Patreon at Scott uh, at Patreon.com slash Scott E. Weinberg. Awesome. You can, of course, find us on your favorite podcatcher, Junk Food Cinema, and on the social medias at Junk Food Cinema. And if you really like the show, I mean, you really like the show as much as I like this new character Scott Weinberg has created. You can go to patreon.com slash Junk Food Cinema, financially support the show. We greatly appreciate you keeping the lights on because when the lights go out, it's very dark in the woods. And uh, you know what? As much as we got the bagel game on lock, it's still scary out here. I don't know what any of that means. I don't know what any of that fucking means. But signing off is difficult. Mr. Crowley, what went on in your head? Oh, Mr. Crowley, did you talk to the dead? How hilarious. How highly, highly humorous. It's just awful.